Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Alana Macover, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in London, England. She's been a teacher for over 25 years. She's also a childbirth educator and a doula, and she teaches Utopia classes, which are based on the Alexander Technique, the preparing women for child for childbirth. Uh, in a previous uh, podcast, we've talked a lot about uh, how the Alexander Technique can be very helpful to women who are pregnant. And uh, in, this, in this interview, we're going to talk uh, primarily about the childbirth process itself. Alana, welcome to the show. Hello. Alana, could uh, could you uh, once again just uh, give our listeners a very short description or definition, if you like, of the Alexander Technique so they have some idea what we're talking about here? Well, um, I one of the first things I say to people about the Alexander Technique that it is a self-help method that we teach them to use themselves in activity, which I mean move, because this is what we sort of do most of the time, in a way that will not interfere with our design in the way that we understand this design. And that actually there is now more and more scientific proof that Alexander understood the design very well. And it is quite interesting to um, think about his his journey sometimes is so intriguing, how he discovered what he discovered with so little uh, knowledge about anatomy and physiology and neurology and all the things that we know today. Mm. Well, he was a self-taught man uh, living in an obscure corner of the English British Empire in the late 19th century. It is something. It's pretty, it? it is a pretty amazing story. Pretty uh, amazing story, definitely. And he discovered that it, he was in, he himself through his own observation. After a short while, actually, he discovered that he interfered with the head-neck-back relationship like a sort of a good engineer that looks at the bridge and can tell if it's good or not. He looked at himself when he was still and was when he was active, and he noticed that he was doing something that was not right. And uh, that was the interference with what he called, uh, he coined it eventually, the primary control which is the relationship between the head and the neck and the back, which allows the head to find its balance on the top of the spine without any, um, uh, without a necessity to hold it or to let it flop. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of people will be surprised to learn just how much their heads weigh typically 10 to 12 pounds, which uh, in America uh, equates to uh, a bowling ball or um, 
three, uh, four pound sacks of sugar or flour, which is pretty heavy. And there it is poised up at the top of our spine or perhaps not poised, perhaps held in place in some way. And of course, Alexander and Alexander teachers see a huge value in in uh, encouraging a natural poise of the head because it requires less work and sets the stage for all sorts of uh, uh, good things throughout the rest of the body. Uh, would you? Yes. Does you agree with that? I mean, I'm. I'm I will agree to... with it. I would like to add to it mm-hmm. that. Uh, in the previous uh, talk, we talked about the wish of the pelvis, uh, of the, not the pelvis, of the uterus to come forward and up as the baby grows in mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. I would like also to say that the back has a wish. It is to lengthen rather than to shorten to have more space between the vertebras than less. And that by releasing any unnecessary tension in the head, we really, there is a possibility at that time to allow the, the back his wish to lengthen. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a really in, important point, that that is what our spines want to do. They want to yeah, lengthen. I and, see it as an inner wish. Mm-hmm. Well, it's part Sometimes of our, it's part it's, of our design, yes. and we and most small kids, small children, uh, do a pretty decent job of not interfering with that, unless there's some particular circumstance they're in. But but pretty quickly we learn how to mess that up and. Um, I guess you could say the Alexander technique is uh, a lot of it is about learning how to let go of that messing up that we had those habit those habits we've acquired that get in the way. I would like to add something here that mm-hmm. is I think gives hope to people uh, that we can restore it because mm-hmm. sometimes people are frustrated. You know, um, as babies and toddlers, we cannot learn to move unless we have the primary control. Which is... Um, Which in, is total head. balance of the head on the top exactly. of the spine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We cannot learn to sit up, to stand, to walk unless we have it. Of course, it is on a subconscious level. Babies do not know what they have, mm-hmm. but they cannot learn it otherwise. The ability of a a newborn baby to balance its big head, and babies' heads are bigger than the rest of their body in in proportion. Mm -hmm. It's amazing Mm -hmm. how these little creatures can balance their head on the top of the spine very early on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We are looking at when a child is born, after a few days we say, oh, isn't it wonderful? It can hold its head. Well, it doesn't hold it at all. It balances it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holding it would be quite a quite a job uh, for, for yeah, a baby. Yeah, quite. And then I say to them, they can't hold it. They balance it. Isn't it wonderful? Mm-hmm. And I think that throughout um, the, 
let's say, the first two, three years of our life, we are in total balance of the head on the top of the spine, and we start to interfere later on in our lives. Mm-hmm. We won't go into why, because this is really an enormous issue for which you need probably five other podcasts. <laughs> But to just right. come back to this idea that we all had it, we all, we were all there, is, I think, whatever we had, we can gain back again if we want. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with, without... are having had that at some point it's really hard for me to imagine how the, how Alexander lessons could get very far because um, really we're, we're in the business of of, re, of helping people get out of the way and you know um, unless they've already had some experience somewhere in their lifetime I don't think we could do all that much for them You might disagree with that. That's just my, my thought on the subject. No, I don't disagree, actually. I just think that by pointing it out... Oh, absolutely, people, yes. I give them... I, I show them that, ah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right, right, right. I had it once. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so in, I can it, get it back. <laughs> absolutely. And in, in our previous podcast, we talked a lot about how... You would work with women who are pregnant to help them restore that, and also um, we talked a lot about the balance issues that face pregnant women with the change in weight distribution. We talked a lot about um, allowing the uh, uterus to rise uh, as you said forward and up uh, the way it's designed to, and towards the end of our conversation. Um, you mentioned a couple of specific things that you do with pregnant women that maybe wouldn't feature quite as prominently with uh, in, a, in an ordinary Alexander lesson in particular uh, having the having women uh, go into a modified standing position that Alexander teachers like to call a monkey which is uh, knees knees bent forward and the uh, Uh, torso bent forward from the hips and then also going on on all fours and you you um, made the point and maybe you could just reiterate that here before we get into uh, childbirth itself that um, that apart from the beneficial effects those have on the the, the pregnant woman they also um, encourage I, I, I'm a little got to be a little careful about my terminology here but you, they encourage the baby to be in an optimal position I think you said for for birth is that correct and maybe you could just elaborate on that a little bit yeah it's to, to settle mm-hmm. it has to settle in this optimal position right. now the optimal position for birth is that when the head is down and the back of the baby is is more towards the left side of the woman and its leg it's kicking towards the liver mm-hmm. um, if baby uh, because we are not symmetrical inside right if the baby settles start to move more towards the right side it will not be with its back, towards the abdominal wall 
but it will be with its back more towards the spine. Uh-huh. So at, because the liver is a very big organ, you see, where the stomach is a small one, and the liver is on the right and the stomach is on the left. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if it settles on the wrong uh, side more with the back towards the back, rather than the back towards the abdominal wall, it will have to do a very, very big turn in order to be born, all the way to roll all from the back to bring itself with its back towards the abdominal wall so that the head can be born in the way that it is designed to be born, where the smallest circumference of the head faces the cervix and the birth canal. Mm-hmm. And and that, in turn, is made more likely, uh, it's more likely that the baby will settle where it's designed to settle if a woman spends some time on all fours. Is that is that basically what you're saying? Or is there a bit more to it than that? There's just a little bit more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Modern furniture, and since we have television apparently, are designed so that we are all the time tilting back, resting in sofas. Mm -hmm. Can you see the position in which we take when we sit down to watch television? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you see, when we lean back, we push the contents of the pelvis up and the baby find it's somehow it's a little bit confused really and it is not encouraged to settle in the in the right position mm-hmm. and women now spend many hours um watching television or tilting back in other ways. For instance, long driving, which women didn't do before the Second World War, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we spend more and more time leaning back and pushing the content of the whole pelvis up, which confuses the baby. And we know from records that midwives hold that there is a big increase in what we call malposition for birth mm-hmm. since the since television mm-hmm. since the end of the second world war well that's interesting and uh, as as you said before malposition just makes the whole process a lot trickier and a lot iffier and i assume increases the chances of the necessity of a cesarean or something like that? Is that Would that be uh, fair to say? It is indeed, yeah. yeah. It, it, is, it makes labor longer, more mm-hmm. painful, and much more likely f- to, to interfere with, uh, with drugs. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. drugs will bring about, it's a chain. It's no, women think it will alleviate the pain. It doesn't work like that. It's 50% of women who take drug end up with either forcep or cesarean. 
Right, right. So it's well, it's food for thought, right. isn't it? It certainly is. And in in America, um, I don't know what the trends are in England, but in America, the percentage of births that are done with cesarean uh, are have have increased dramatically in recent years to the point where it's it's almost become i wouldn't say the standard way but pretty common and um i i think i, I mean i'm this is a field i don't know a lot about but i don't remember as a kid ever hearing the term cesarean so i have a feeling that's uh, a fairly recent development well it is you know not recent in the sense of, uh, in Historically, it's recent, but yeah. in our lifetime, uh, right, it's, right, right, it's been going on 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 the increase, you know, again since the Second World War, actually. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the increase all the time, and it's the same in in England. Yeah. It's on the increase. It's not as terrible as in America, really, mm -hmm. where it reaches about, I think, 40% by now. I think now it's closer to 50. I just read an article in the really? Times. Yeah, really? this is a huge shift, I think, in over just over the last uh, decade or so. And there are all kinds of reasons for it. Some of them are economic, having to do with how doctors are compensated. But that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. It's just another <laughs> another issue, really. Right, uh, right. But but, but uh, it is on the increase. If you want to avoid it, because we are not designed to have this, you know, knife cutting into it every every time we want to have a child. Right. Uh, you have to really prepare yourself very well. Otherwise, so, you will you're very likely to end up with a cesarean. Well, and, you know, we've talked a lot about how you work with women um, who are pregnant and, and women who are getting close to childbirth. Um, it, it, what changes in the way you work with women when they get really close to childbirth and uh, maybe are in childbirth? How do you use the, the Alexander technique at that point? Well, I teach them, first of all, a basic movement that I call the pear movement, which I'll try to describe it to you. Uh, it's when a woman is on all four and on the end's onset of a contraction, which is a strong way in which the uterus contract in order to uh, efface the cervix mm -hmm. she starts to move and imagining that if she's holding a pencil in her mouth she will draw a shape of a pear which is a nice shape because also the uterus is the shape of a pear uh, on the floor mm -hmm. and as she will be moving and creating this shape with her body, she will have all her joints free. She will create saliva to calm down. She will breathe out through her mouth. Uh, it is not exactly the time to uh, uh, do a whisper ah in the way that we teach it, although I teach it when I teach very proper, because it's all about breathing 
through the mouth and not gasping for air and not stop breathing and because just, the pain just, sorry, does it. Could we just pause here for just a second to explain whispered ah? Uh, that do you want to um, define that or explain what that is? A whisper ah uh, is, a, I think, one of the exercises that Alexander developed in order mm. to sh prove to people or to show them that there is no need to gasp for air. Right, right. That as they stop the breath out, the air will just come in and there is no need to take it. So mm. it's not like I'm talking to you and, and I'm talking to you and I'm, you know, gasping for air every time, you know, after, after I expel some out. Right, but right. But I just let it come in. And I think both of us, as we are talking, I'd never heard you gasping for air. Well, you know, I, I, all those years of being an Alexander <laughs> teacher, it would be a little <laughs> shocking maybe if I were. Yeah. And I, I, I think there might be the occasional snort there, but um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I hope that it, I came across <laughs> not as someone right. Right. Who, who gasps for air. But anyway, I teach them to just think about the breath out mm -hmm. and trust that the air will come in. And I, well, as we work on this movement, it's got many aspects. Mm -hmm. It is both physically soothing because mm -hmm. you are moving. I wouldn't like to use the word relaxed, but at, with ease, you are not locking your joint because if you lock your joint, you won't be able to create really a, a nice pair. Yeah, it will mm -hmm. be somehow with sharp um, edges, edges yeah. somewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also mentally, you are engaged with a movement. You cannot think about anything else except this movement. So you're not end gaining. You are just going sailing, flowing with the pain. So when you say not end gaining, uh, again, there, that's a bit of Alexander terminology. And basically, I, I'm, I'm gathering that you're saying you're not trying to get the birth over with. You're focusing on your breathing and and drawing this this outline, and you're in a sense allowing what needs to happen for the birth to happen. Yeah, that's right. And that's a you hard thing for people to do because, uh, and I would think, especially in that situation, and especially if the uh, if labor has gone on for a while, the yes. temptation would be pretty strong to mm, try to do something to make it happen. That's very true. That's very true. But yeah. you know, there are also psychological changes during the birth process. If a woman is really left on her own to cope, when nobody creates unnecessary tension around her, not make silly remarks that upset her or um, try to, to suggest too many things, but just let her be there at the moment. 
there is time in labor, whereas the woman moves on to another planet. I uh, think that uh, Michel Audin described it uh, very well in his book, Birth Reborn, which I would recommend to anybody who is interested in childbirth without not even thinking about the Alexander Technique. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly, I mean, we know that in a lot of um, uh, societies, um, sometimes I think incorrectly labeled primitive societies, uh, women give birth without much of any uh, to do about it. I remember reading about, I believe it was in Uganda, where a, a woman will just, uh, who's working in the field, will just, oh, it's time for the baby, and we'll just go off, have the baby, uh, and within a fairly short time be back back working again, which well, is pr- pretty remarkable, um, I think. And, and I think one woman was asked, well, how do you know, how did you know it was time? And she said, well, how do I know when I'm hungry? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, that left yeah. quite an impression on me. Um, so yeah. I'm I'm wondering um, in in terms of how you work with women uh, in childbirth uh, as as a as a doula. Are I assume then that you're present for the birth itself? Is that correct? Yes. And who else is present? Is there a, a, a nurse or a nurse practitioner? or How does that work in, in, in your situation? In England. Mm-hmm. In England, according to the law, a mother has to have a, a midwife. A midwife, okay. Yes, uh-huh. she's not, you are not allowed to uh, uh, give birth on your own. Mm-hmm. Not, you are not allowed to plan such a thing. Well, you I know? think that's true here as well. So, yeah. um, uh, so there, there, there is there is someone who is, uh, how could we put it, more the specialist in a birthing, a midwife. And midwife. I assume that you must have established uh, good relationships with, with midwives so that you can work as a team with the pregnant woman, with the with the woman who's giving birth. Is that is that fair to say? Well, uh, it will be a little bit exaggerated because the the turnout of midwives is enormous, and I go to several, you know, sometimes hospitals mm-hmm. or home birth, and then it depends that that many midwives um, around. Uh, on the whole, they welcome a doula. Mm-hmm. Um, because they a doula can be with the mother more than midwives nowadays can, mm-hmm. and it is probably because of the nature of in which the profession has developed and in uh, the demands on the midwives that they they are not hands on midwives as they used to be. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where you come in as the doula, but with the, but not just a, an ordinary doula, but a doula who has this um, uh, Alexander technique background as well. That's right. And so that's- I, I'm I'm imagining that 
at various points. Maybe you're using your hands or verbal uh, directions to guide your your student as this uh, the birthing process takes place. Yes, I do, and mm -hmm. also the partner. The, often the partner is present. Yeah, I bet and, the partner and, needs it more than the woman sometimes. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> I can but imagine we work, that. We work together. <laughs> right. We right. work together. Uh, the best compliment that I ever heard was at birth when uh, the mother was offered an epidural. And she said, no, no, Ilana and my husband are my epidural. I don't need any. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That yeah. was the best compliment I ever heard. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> is is there anything, before we come to a close on this podcast, is there anything we haven't mentioned that you especially would like to talk about before we come to an end? Well, I just mentioned that there are various uh, movements that a woman uh, can um uh, perform during the whole process of of labor as long as she she has to after she's been having lessons with me and i would if i am with her at birth i would remind her about directions i about inhibition i'm not using these words during labor you on the whole you, you don't talk too much you are just there and you, you go with, mm -hmm. and maybe from time to time you just suggest perhaps we haven't been going up and down a wall for a while, or we didn't squat for a while, or would you like to go and pee, for uh, mm -hmm. for instance, mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. like that. But um, uh, to, to be uh, with a woman during the birth is perhaps another issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I asked you the, a similar question to this in our last interview. Um, uh, it, obviously, uh, it, it would be ideal for a woman who wants a doula to have a doula who's also an Alexander teacher, but uh, that's not going to be all that common. And we discussed the whole question of is it useful for a woman who's pregnant to have Alexander lessons from just a plain old ordinary Alexander teacher, and, and you you um, uh, agreed that it would be. And would you say the same thing in terms of the, of, of the birth process itself, that even if you have a teacher who is um, not likely to be someone there at the birth, but could give you sort of general Alexander instructions beforehand while you're, you know, uh, before before the birth birthing time is that would you agree that that would be a useful thing to do very much so and i would recommend to ev everybody to have a doula mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, regard regardless of her other credentials mm -hmm. oh i i would think so i know a, a number of yeah. uh, women who who have done that and um and and have found it made a huge, huge difference in their experience. So um, uh, if uh, my, my, uh, my guest today has been Alana Makover, who's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, an Alexander teacher in London, England, also 
a childbirth educator and a doula. And if anything we've talked about uh, uh, intrigues you and you live in the London area, uh, contact Alana through her website. She has written uh, a number of articles and books and um, on, on this general topic. And they're all, uh, you can find them all on her uh, website. And if you live anywhere else in the world, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to a, web, a website that will enable you to find uh, a teacher where, wherever you, you are located. Alana, thank you so much for, for this podcast and the one before. Thank you very much, Robert. It was a pleasure.